Well, good morning, church family. Uh, always excited to be here. Always excited to be um, in the Lord's house. I tell you, I was singing that uh, song that we just ended with, how deep the Father's love for us, and all I could think about was what, what better way uh, to lead into the series that we've been in over the last few weeks than to think about uh, the deepness of God's love for each of us. Um, if you haven't been here in a while, or it's your first time in a long time, or your first time ever, uh, the last several weeks we've been going through a series called Not the Same. And the series has been dealing with different encounters that Jesus has had in the Gospels with people who were very much in need of him. And what's been exciting is that really the stories are not as, uh, as, as important for just them in that moment as they are for us right now today. Because honestly, we all have stories like that as well. Stories where after we encounter Jesus, we have no longer been the same since then. And so uh, what a testimony to the love of God that he would see sinners like you and me and he would save us regardless of where we've been and uh, what we've done and, uh, and where we've come from. And so uh, in the series, as many of you know, we've had several different guest speakers. Uh, we call them guests, but really they're all uh, some of our own folks, which has been awesome. Uh, our staff has shared, which has been great. Um, uh, Brother, Brother Ron has shared, which has been great. Brother Donald has shared. Brother Bird uh, has shared. And I tell you what, I am super excited this morning. I'm a little bit biased because my Sunday school teacher uh, will be sharing with us this morning. So I'm going to invite uh, Brother Richie Kimbrew to come to the stage. Always sounds a little weird when you say brother uh, in front of somebody's name, I feel like. But anyway, I'm excited to hear what the Lord's been doing. Uh, me and Richie have talked several times this week and even before this week, and I've got to hear the sermon a little bit uh, before you have, so that's been awesome. And I can tell you what, I am more excited to hear it from him uh, right now than just in all the other times that I've heard it. So I'm excited for Richie to be able to share this morning. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to get out of the way, and uh, Richie's going to share what the Lord's been doing and working in his heart. So let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for being the awesome God that you are. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be in your house, to hear from you today. God, I'm so thankful for Richie and his obedience to you. Uh, God, I'm thankful that you're going to use him this morning to teach us from your word, to challenge us to live the way that you want us to live. So Jesus, right now, take this time. It's yours. Do what you see fit as you use your servant this morning to speak your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. There's a couple things that I am certain of this morning. One of those is that if you are surprised to see me up here this morning, I assure you I'm more surprised than you are. The other thing that I'm certain of is that this sermon, and it feels funny to say that word because uh, I always tell the Sunday school class, I'm not preaching, I'm, I'm living this. This was not born out of the opportunity to speak this morning. The opportunity to speak this morning was born out of this conviction. So... I'll tell you a little bit about how we got here <clears throat> this morning. A few months ago, Brother Danny asked me to come by and see him. He said he had something that he wanted to talk to me about. And just fair warning, that's how this stuff starts. So uh, he started telling me about this new sermon series uh, called Not the Same. He started giving me the outline and the general idea and uh, how he wanted some other people to participate. And at the end of his spiel, he said... I would like for you to preach one of the sermons. Now, I can tell you there were a lot of things going through my mind while he was talking, like maybe he wants me to give a testimony or 
Maybe he wants to tie this into a Sunday school lesson. Maybe he wants to tie this into a series of Sunday school lessons and do them all at the same time. But I can assure you, the question that he asked me did not enter my mind, okay? And the only thing that I could get out was this, have you lost your mind? (laughs) Why? And he said, maybe, but I still want you to do it. And so I did the usual. I fired off a lot of excuses right there. And he said, basically, he said, yeah, all that applies to me too. So now here's the list of people that I'm going to ask to participate. And I want you to know that everybody has accepted except for you and Jeffrey. That's Jeffrey Bird. And I'm, I'm sure you're aware that a couple weeks ago, Jeffrey stood up here and delivered a sermon and did a fantastic job, by the way, I thought. Matter of fact, I told him he set the bar a little bit higher than I would have liked. Um, So I think my strategy this morning is just going to be to go for less time. (laughs) But anyway, back to the story. Um, He also gave me the usual out. That's what he said. You don't have to give me an answer right away. I want you to, yeah, yeah, pray about it. You talk about it, think about it. You speak to whoever you need to. You need to come back, talk to me. That's fine. But at some point I will need you to tell me yes or no. And if the answer is no, that's okay. So he really gave me every opportunity to not be up here. Well, Jeffrey and I talked about this a little bit as time went on, but not very much. Because if you notice, the people who have spoken in this series are really preachers, except for Jeffrey and me. I don't think you mind me saying that. Um, But just a few weeks ago, Brother Danny sent an email to him and to me, and he said, everybody's committed except for you two, and I need an answer. All right, so then there was a phone call that didn't go quite as we had, or as I had planned it, And uh, I think that helped us get to where we are today, and I want to go through that. Jeffrey started to talk about this a couple weeks ago, but he didn't for some reason, and um, he knows I'm going to share that this morning. He was in Kentucky serving with Eight Days of Hope, and I thought he might be able to take a few minutes off and talk about this, so I called him, but he answered right away, and as luck would have it, he he was taking a break. And he was going through his voicemails, and he was returning phone calls. And that's very important to what I'm about to tell you. So when he answered, I said, hey, if you've got a few minutes, I want to talk to you about this sermon series. And he said, absolutely, I want to talk to you too. Because this was a weighty issue for us, I want you to know. Well, we lost connection, just like that. And every time he tried to call me back, it went straight to voicemail. And every time I tried to call him back, it went straight to voicemail. Now, he's talking to people all over the place on his phone before I called him and after I called him. And I'm doing the same thing, talking to people before I called him and after I called him. But we can't talk to each other. And we finally just gave up. So the next Monday, I knew he was back home. I called him, and we we talked about the conversation that didn't get to happen the week before. 
And I said, um, can we go over this, this sermon series now? I, I need to talk to you about that. And he said, yes, we can. But before we go any further, I need to tell you that I'm in. And I've already given Danny my answer. Well, it's not what I expected to hear from you. So, okay, share with me then how you're here and you're not where we were before. So he started going through what God had shared with him uh, when he was in Kentucky, and he shared a lot of that when he was up here a couple weeks ago, and how God had put that verse in front of him that said, preach the word, and now he had to pass this sign every day as he went in to get his assignments that said, it's not about you, and the whole time he was talking, just like when I was talking to Brother Danny, and the wheels were turning, the whole time Jeffrey was talking to me, the wheels were turning in my head. And all I could think was, you know, that applies to me too. Whether I'm serving with eight days of hope in a disaster area, or whether I'm going through my everyday routine, it still applies. So I think God prevented us from having that conversation until he was ready for us to have it. I think it was very possible that we might have, probably would have, put a little bit too much of us in front of him. I mean, we tend to do that sometimes, don't we? Now, I can tell you this. This is another thing that I'm certain of this morning. <clears throat> Sorry about clearing my throat. My, my wife will tell me about that later when I get home. I don't feel qualified in any way to be up here to do what I'm doing. I don't feel worthy in any way, but I'm not going to let that stop me because I have had an encounter with Jesus, and I left that encounter not the same. And one sermon doesn't seem like very much compared to what Jesus was preparing his disciples for. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the disciples. In the past several weeks, We've heard about several individuals who had encounters with Jesus, and they left that encounter, or those encounters, not the same. And today we're going to look at a group of people, the early disciples. Here are the twelve. Simon, also known as Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip. Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Now, some of these guys we know more about than others. For example, we know there's a couple of sets of brothers. You have Peter and Andrew and James and John, and we know these guys are all fishermen. That right there is a setup for ready-made arguments like fishermen and brothers. I, I grew up that way. I've got brothers. I'm a fisherman. If you've got siblings, you understand what I'm talking about. Then there's Matthew, the tax collector. Now, Matthew works for the Roman government. The Jewish people were oppressed by the Romans. The Jewish people were looking and waiting for a Messiah to save them from Roman rule. And here you have a guy who's basically working for the enemy. Think about that. He's probably not the most popular guy in the room. Then there's Simon the Zealot. 
We know the Zealots were a group of people whose agenda was to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted to at least agitate them at every opportunity. I can imagine that he and Matthew got along really well. So we don't know so much about the others, but I think what we do know is that they're all very much like these guys and that there's nothing really over the top special about any of them. So now if we were to go through all of the stories in the gospels that included these disciples, there is no way we could get through that this morning. So here's just a short list of snapshots from their encounters with Jesus. And I want you just to listen and think about the things they got to see. Water turned into wine. A boxed lunch for one little boy turned into a meal for thousands. They got to see howling winds and raging seas calmed with only words. Sickness healed, lame people walked, demons were driven out, and that's just to name a few. There had to be a lot of wow moments for these guys in their encounter with Jesus. And it's not only what they saw, but what they got to do. They were sent out by Jesus with his authority and power. They got to heal the sick, raise the dead cleanse leopards, cast out demons, and one of them even walked on water. Think about that. But the one that walked on water, he sunk too, didn't he? Turns out that even in that moment, he allowed all that was happening around him to be a distraction. And he took his eyes and his focus off of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, there were several failures, even after all they had seen, even after all they had done. And again, we can't go through all of those this morning, but I do want to go over just a few. So first, let's look at some of their failures in faith. Now, we're going to be mainly in the uh, middle part of Matthew, if you, if you want to flip over there and read through these as we go. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, and I'm going to paraphrase this. This is where we read about the feeding of the 5,000, or the 5,000 plus. Now, to me, this is easily one of the most amazing events recorded in Scripture. Not sure about you, but it, to me, it's absolutely amazing. These disciples saw firsthand the meager portions that Jesus was handed five loaves of bread, and two fish. These disciples distributed the food. They watched as everybody ate, and they were filled. And then these disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers, and that had to be a wow moment, wouldn't you think? Maybe even unforgettable. But maybe not. Because a short time later in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 32, they were faced with a similar situation. This time the crowd was 4,000 or 4,000 plus, and they had seven loaves of bread and a few small fish is what we're told. But look at verse 33 where the disciples asked this question, 
Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Now, when I read that, I'm really just shaking my head and thinking, seriously? I mean, you just saw this, right? So again, they see the meager portions that Jesus was handed. They distributed the food. They watched as all the people ate and were filled. And they gathered seven large baskets of leftovers. So now, it really should be a wow moment. You think? I mean, maybe, maybe now even unforgettable. Apparently not. Because a short time later, in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 5, this is what we read. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? Hear those words from Jesus. O you of little faith, how do you not understand? So after seeing this amazing feat of provision twice, they're still worried about something to eat. I don't get it. Let's look at another failure of faith. In Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, we read that when Jesus and three of the disciples came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, the other disciples were argue, arguing with the scribes, and they had failed to cast out a demon in Jesus' name. Now, they had clearly been given the authority and power to do so previously. And in verse 17, Jesus says some familiar words that we just heard. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? And in verse 19 and 20, this is what we read. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not cast out the demon? And so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But hear those words of Jesus to the disciples, unbelief. Or how about a failure in pride? In Matthew chapter 18, we see the disciples asking Jesus, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They still had their own ideas of how everything was supposed to look in the future and what it was going to be like. And once again, Jesus has to set them straight. 
it appears to me that these disciples had a tendency to put um, a little bit too much of themselves in front of Jesus. Does it not? I know this is just a small sample of the cycle, but reading through these scriptures, we can see so many times the light bulb comes on for these guys, and then we wonder where it went. So now, with all that in mind, it brings me to this question. Can you imagine if the spread of the gospel message had been left up to them? I mean, we see things like lack of understanding, lack of faith, pride, self-serving, and the list really goes on. We probably don't want to dwell on too much of that because it's starting to sound a little bit too familiar. But we already know the answer to that question, right? The gospel message was entrusted to them. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19, Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And they did. I hear the pages turning and I didn't give you time to get there and I apologize for that. It's just, I'm not used to this. Jesus gave them the, the great commission and we know that's what they did. So, I don't really want to focus on the failures of the early disciples this morning. What I want to focus on is their obedience. We certainly need to be aware of the shortcomings and failures that they had, but the focus, I think, needs to be on what was accomplished through them. And this is why. Because the crux of this message is, church, this is us. This story, that's who we are. Jesus spent his earthly ministry teaching and pouring himself into these early disciples. And that's the same thing that he does today or wants to do today. I think it's important to look at the lives of these early disciples and understand that some of these same characteristics are part of who we are today. Throughout the church, um, we have people from all walks of life, all stages of life, all stages of spirituality. Some of us may not even get along so well, just like these early disciples. But I'm certain we say or do things that make God say things like, whoa, you don't understand. Or maybe stop, listen, or where is your faith? But that didn't stop the early disciples, and it shouldn't stop us. I know we don't really like for our failures to be pointed out. I certainly don't. But that's part of life, isn't it? I mean, I imagine none of you have ever walked on water. But I would venture a guess to say that you've probably taken your eyes off of Jesus a few times. I think you all probably have paid more attention at times to the wind and the waves around you 
um, and lost your focus. And then Jesus picks you up again, just like he did Peter. But the good news is, we can still be a faithful disciple of Jesus. And this is our model. These disciples, they had the opportunity opportunity to walk with Jesus in the flesh. Yeah. They had the opportunity to see and do things that had to be absolutely amazing. Yes. And in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit arrive and come alive in them just like Jesus had promised. But for us, we have the entirety of Scripture from beginning to end. And we have the same Holy Spirit to live within us that these early disciples had. And so the real question, if this is us, can you imagine if the spread of the gospel message would have been left to us? That's pretty weighty. But Jesus calls followers today just like he did these early disciples. And Jesus teaches the same truths today, just like he did for these early disciples. And Jesus expects obedience today, just like he did from these early disciples. And he has the same expectation to carry the gospel message that he did from these early disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But there are struggles. And of all the struggles that we face, perhaps the greatest struggle is simply ourselves. There's a term in our culture today that you're probably familiar with, and that is cultural Christianity. In fact, Evan mentioned this in his sermon a few weeks ago on Nicodemus. Now, it might sound like a biblical term, but it's not. It's actually the opposite of biblical Christianity, which is basically following the teachings of Jesus. The best way I can describe cultural Christianity is when people subscribe to the idea of biblical Christianity, but not all of the principles. They just subscribe to the parts that they like or maybe that are in their comfort zone. Now, that in itself creates a, quote, culture. And that is what that culture accepts. And that is what that culture promotes. And that is what that culture grows. It can be things like attending church, participating in church-related activities, serving within the church, even in administrative or leadership positions, serving charitably outside the church, and the list goes on. And then maybe adding all those things to an otherwise moral lifestyle. Now, cultural Christianity may not be a biblical term, but I think we'll all agree that it's really been around since biblical times. In fact, there are several examples in Scripture of similar behavior, and then there's warnings against it. And so for that reason, 
I believe if I went through the room this morning and asked the question, all of you, I hope, would agree that this is not a good thing and this is not what we want, right? But if we are not willing to proclaim what the basis of our faith is, that is, if we are not pointing to and telling people about Jesus, then what really are we expecting? We may not be condoning the practice, but we are allowing it to breathe. And our silence is not a substitute for the truth. Let me give you some things to consider. From time to time in my preparation for Sunday school, I like to look at research and statistics concerning Christianity and religion because I think it's super important to understanding the mission field that we are in every single day. I won't bore you with all the numbers, but I want to give you just the overall gist of what I found. For the most part, 75% of the U.S. population claims to be or identifies with being a Christian. 75%. But when you look into some subcategories, like belief in God, absolute standards, frequency of prayer, study of Scripture, those percentages start diving. They go down. And in some cases, they go way down. When from a biblical perspective, they should really be the same, wouldn't you think? I mean, they should really track There's an overwhelming belief in heaven, but interestingly, not in hell. And the way to heaven, according to the participants of the research, is all over the place. And that's what we're up against. So what do we do? Well, it's apparent that the term Christian is used pretty loosely in our culture. So I think we really need to be aware of the language that we use, but I think it's really important that we use language, and I mean specific language, Jesus, period. We're absolutely supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I get that. That is, a lot of those things that go along with cultural Christianity, they're good things. They need to happen. But the main goal for Jesus was salvation. That's what he said. In Luke, chapter, in Luke 19, uh, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in Matthew 16, 26, he said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, I think that means we're supposed to be more than the hands and feet of Jesus, I think we're supposed to be his mouth too. And I understand that that can be intimidating. The wheels may be turning in your head now, just like they turn in mine when other people start talking. You might be thinking how difficult this verbal witness can be. I get it. Believe me. I know. I understand. Talk about it all the time. You might be thinking about relationships and how they need to be built. I would say yes, 
In many cases, you can and you should, but not in all. And how long do those relationships take to build? Days? Months? Years? And how many never get built to the point where you can share Jesus? I think the Bible's pretty clear that we should be ready at every opportunity. And we can draw encouragement from this. Every excuse or roadblock that we can think of, these early disciples, they faced it too. And if we could just keep hearing those words that my friend put in my ear, preach the word. It's not about you. And we also know that we're not alone. Jesus gave us the great commission, but in the same breath, he also gave us great confidence. He said at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there are times that we need to assess where we are. Let me ask some questions. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? Did you leave that encounter not the same? Where are you in your discipleship? Are you telling people about Jesus? Now, maybe you do have it all together. Maybe you're modeling the life of a disciple. And if you are, the only thing I can tell you is that is awesome. Keep it up. And I pray that you will help as many people as you can to come alongside of you. Or maybe you've never had an encounter with Jesus, and maybe you need to leave here this morning not the same. Or maybe you're somewhere in between those two. You might be still trying to get things together. Uh, still trying to straighten some things out, still trying to understand. Well, that's what these early disciples were going through. That's right where they were. And here is the reality of that. If you're waiting until you understand it all, you probably won't. And you may never reach a single soul for Jesus. And if you're waiting until you have your life completely together, you probably won't, and you may never reach a single soul for Jesus. And if you're waiting on Jesus to tell you what to do, he already has, and he's waiting on you. Here's just a little bit more reality for us, church, and then, then we're going to be closing, I promise. <laughs> you said that. Listen, part of the belief among modern-day Christians, and I know you're already thinking about this, and I believe this stems out of this cultural Christianity movement or whatever it is, and the belief is that we simply need to show people Jesus, that people just need to see Jesus in us. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but remember, this cultural Christianity doesn't subscribe to all of the biblical principles of Christianity just some of them. Now, I've had a lot of conversations with Brother Danny on this subject, and I want, to, I want to tell you what I think he would say about this. And it would go something like, do we need to show people Jesus? Yes. 
Do people need to see Jesus in us? Yes. Is that part of God's plan? Of course it is. I know I didn't do you justice, brother. I'm sorry. Is that all of it? No. Many of you remember the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, who is my second favorite pastor to listen to. He said it a lot better than I can. And this is what he said. You may hear some say, I just want people to see my life and then they'll want to be a Christian. I'll say it again. You may hear a lot of people say, I just want people to see my life and then they'll want to be a Christian. And then he said this in that all familiar voice. Friend, people are not saved by your life. They're saved by his death. They don't need to say what a wonderful person you are. They need to know how wonderful Jesus is. People seeing Jesus in us is a great thing. It has to happen. But they need to know and understand that he can live in their heart too. And it's up to us to tell them that. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about being the vine and we're the branches. In verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Well, the fruit he's talking about is other believers. That's my message this morning. So now we're going to go into a time of decision, a time of response. And I want to encourage you to move however God directs you. So let me ask, do you find yourself this morning somewhere on that middle ground? If the answer to that is yes, then there's some work to do. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. There's no better time than right now to get that right with the Lord. You can draw a line in the sand and make the commitment. Jesus, I will be a voice for you. You know you can do that right where you are. But I also want you to know that the altar is always open in a time of response. If you need to have a conversation with him up here, please come and spend the time you need, and we'll try to be sensitive to that. If you need to talk to one of our counselors, when we start to pray, I invite you just to slip out and come back to the foyer, and someone back there will be glad to meet with you. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus, and you want to know more about what it means to be not the same. I can tell you that we would love to talk to you about that this morning. So when we start to pray, I invite you as well. Just slip out, come back to the foyer. Somebody will be back there to share Christ's love with you, help you start on that journey. And if you're looking for a church home this morning, maybe you're visiting with us, 
you're looking for a place where you can stand with biblical brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage them and be encouraged by them, please come back to the foyer and talk with our pastors. I know this is a great challenge to some of this morning, uh, to some of us this morning, but this is what we are commanded to do in God's word. It's as simple as that. So in closing, I want to ask this critical question. What about the part that hasn't been written? What will be the fate of the gospel message as it depends on you and your obedience? Let's pray. Father, we love you.